Tonight, I have, uh, if you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 23. Uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at an event in the life of Jesus right at the end of his life that took place in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, I'd like for us to learn uh, from what he endured in the Garden and see if there's some practical applications that I can learn when I find myself in a Gethsemane moment. Uh, we, we remember what Gethsemane was all about, is where Jesus was in agony praying, uh, let not this cup, uh, let not this cup, uh, or let this cup pass from me. Uh, Jesus was struggling with what he was about to have to go through. And maybe you find yourself, there are probably moments in your life when um, you feel, well, have you ever just been devastated? I mean, flat on your bed, crying in your pillow. Have you ever been where you don't even know what to do next? You are so broken by the events of this life that you don't know how it's ever going to get better. Um, probably many of you can tell, well, I was there when this happened in my life. We all have experiences, and the good thing about Christianity, Christianity is not just about a, a bunch of rules that God wanted us to walk regimented in, and it's about living. It's about living life well, and Christianity helps us. Well, John 10 and verse 10 says, Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, and uh, he has come to give us eternal life, but he also has come to help us live in this life in a way that is meaningful and uh, fulfilling and satisfying. And so there are lessons that we can learn from Jesus that help me through life, uh, through the difficult moments that will invariably come. Um, your Gethsemane may be a moment uh, of loss where someone close to you has died. You don't know even what to do. You don't know how to handle it, how to manage it. You don't know uh, how things are going to get done. You don't know what to do tomorrow. Uh, maybe you've been there. Uh, maybe your Gethsemane has been a Gethsemane of uh, divorce. Your spouse, the one that you committed your life to and vowed to be with till death do you part, your spouse has up and left you. Abandon you, maybe abandon you with your children. And uh, now you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know how you're going to function. You, your life is just totally turned upside down. You, you, all the dreams and the hopes, the expectations you had for your future and for your children's future, they've all been twisted now. And it's not going to be what you thought it would be. Um, those are real situations that we all face. Your... Um, Gethsemane may be that of illness, long-standing illness, um, where you suffer and there's really nothing that can be done to help you to end the suffering. Um, it's just something you have to live with. You get bad news and it's something that maybe is only going to progressively get worse. How do you deal with that? Maybe maybe your Gethsemane is the loss of a job or the loss of a friend. And we can go on and on and talk about it. And, and everybody could take their turn and say, you know, this is when I was broken. This is when I didn't know what to do. And I, I was so overwhelmed with grief. 
I didn't know where to turn. Well, that's what I want us to talk about. Because in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, well, we see the human side of Jesus. We know he's God. We know the power. We know the miracles. We know the the wonders that he could perform. We, We know that he's deity, come from heaven and took on flesh and lived among us. But here is a passage where we see his humanity. Um, There are others, but this is one in particular. And if you would with me, read with me as we begin in verse 39. Coming out, he went to the Mount of Olives, as as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he had said to them, "'Pray that you may not enter into temptation.'" And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer, he had come to his disciples. He found that they were sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. This is a moment in Jesus' life where he's, well, he's devastated. He is in agony. Have you ever prayed in agony Have you ever prayed when you are so broken? Well, Matthew says, to the point of death. Have you ever been that broken? Well, Jesus was. And how did Jesus deal with hardship in Gethsemane? And if I can look at him, maybe I can learn something that will help me in my Gethsemane. All right, well, let's look at a few things. I have four or five of them to share with you tonight. first one is this. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, um, he was concerned about other people. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he had to do. He knew the, all the things that were about to befall him. He had already told his disciples, and they had a hard time believing it, but he knew that he was about to undergo this ordeal and go through this mock trial and be hung on a cross, and he knew all that was coming, and yet, In the midst of all this stuff that's going to happen to him, he's thinking about his friends. Because did you catch it, what he said when when he and his disciples came to Gethsemane? He stopped and said, listen, fellas, pray. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He didn't say, pray for me on this occasion. He said, pray that you not enter into temptation. I I think that there's a lesson that is right there for. When you're devastated, can you look outside yourself? Can you reach out to other people? Or are you so self-absorbed that you don't see and you don't care about what anything else, what is happening to anybody else? It's just all about me, me, me. Jesus, in the midst of his own trouble and trial, was looking out to his friends and was concerned for them. I think that helps us deal with hardship. Those moments when you feel overwhelmed by the weight of whatever it is that you're going through in life, 
Have you ever noticed that the more you just think about it and dwell upon it, the heavier that load gets? What happens when you get outside of yourself, put that on the back burner, whatever it may be, and get involved in the life of somebody else and try to make their situation better? It makes life better, more bearable. It really is the case that um, the way to make your own load lighter is to carry the load of another, pick up another's load. It distracts us from our present concerns. It, it is a way to lighten our own load. Learn from Jesus. The next time you are knocked to your knees, don't stay there and wallow in what has taken place. Look to others. See what you can do for others. Be concerned about them. Reach out to them, and, and God will bless you. Turn in your Bible to Philippians. Keep your place here in Luke, but turn in your Bible to Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to see what the Apostle Paul said in verse 6. He said, Be anxious in nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And get this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. When things get difficult, um, turn to God. Uh, don't, don't just stay there and wallow in it. Turn to God. Ask for help. And seek the peace that Jesus has to offer you. So that's number one. What I can learn from Jesus in Gethsemane is that he was not just concerned about himself, he's concerned about others. So should I be. Number two, Jesus prayed while in Gethsemane. Again, I've mentioned this before, but there's a famous painting, and I can't, I don't know who did it, but if you type in Jesus praying in Gethsemane on the internet, I'm sure that what will come up is this picture of Jesus with his elbows on a rock, some beams of moonlight or sunlight or something kind of shining down on him, and he's, he's holding his hands like this, looking serenely up to heaven, and, uh, this, this posture of prayer that is so serene and peaceful. That is far from what Jesus went through in Gethsemane. The Bible says in Luke that he agonized in prayer. Uh, The Hebrew writer in Hebrews 5 and verse 7 says that he prayed with vehement cries. The very first funeral that I preached, which was a week after I got out of school, and uh, a young man was killed in a car wreck, and, and then I had to do his funeral. His father was devastated. And while I preached, I, I don't know if you've ever heard a man wail, groan, loudly. That's what was going on. And I, I was trying to deliver this funeral or perform this funeral as this father continued just to do these wailings and and groanings that the whole assembly could hear. It was from deep within him. He was so moved by the death of his son. Jesus, with vehement cries, reached out to God. It wasn't a serene moment. He He was in great pain and agony as he prayed about his situation. Maybe you have found yourself there. 
What do you do when you're just broken? You ask God for help. You seek the peace of Christ that can bring peace to your heart. You, you pray. James 5 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says that he, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or, or even think. We pray. I don't want to, you know, I mentioned the book. I don't want to embarrass Marlene Monroe, but she wrote a devotional article in this book. that I think she entitled it, Where Could I Go But to the Lord? And I thought it was excellent. I thought it was top-notch. There are moments in life where we have nowhere else to turn. There's nothing that can help process our grief except to simply turn to the Lord. And that's what Jesus did. He is in agony with vehement cries. He reaches out and he reaches out to God because God can answer prayer. This past week, um, our prayers were answered uh, for Gene in getting a heart transplant. Uh, What comes along with that is the death of another individual. I don't know the circumstances or anything along that line. But um, it's easy to, and both of our prayers today, at least two that I remember, have mentioned you know, both ends of that spectrum. What brings great joy to, to one family and to a group of people who love Gene brings devastation to somebody else. Life is full of difficulties and paradoxes and conflicts and I don't know how to deal with all those other than to just um, take it to God and seek his help. The third thing that Jesus did is that he looked to his friends. He looked after them, but he also looked to them. When he went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, he he took his friends with him. In in particular, Peter, James, and John, they they were a little closer to him. I don't know if he hand-selected them and groomed them for a specific purpose or if it was just a natural, uh, you know, inclination to be closer to those guys uh, just because of personalities. I, I don't know what happened, but Jesus seemed to have this closer group. There were the 12, but then there was Peter, James, and John, and they were privy to things that others were not privy to. And he has them come with him for strength. Do you ever need... Friends, I think we do. And if you think that you don't, maybe you better rethink that. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 17 says that a brother is born for adversity. When adversity comes, well, we need a friend. We need a brother. We need someone who can support us and sustain us. And, and when we go through our Gethsemanes, we need to have someone in our life that we can reach out to and say, I need you now. I'm weak. I don't know where to turn. I need someone to listen to. I I, I need someone to talk to. Who's your Who's your friend? Who can you pull to your side and and allow them to be your support? That's what Jesus had. He groomed that relationship with those three. Sometimes people say, "Well, you can't have special friends." You know that shows partiality, and we don't want cliques in church. Well, does that mean Jesus was clickish because he had three close friends? in a broader circle of friends? I don't think so. 
I think we all can have people that we're closer to, and that's not a wrong thing. That, in fact, is a good thing. It was modeled by our Lord himself. Um, He didn't neglect the others, but he had that special relationship with them. And we need to have people like Jesus begin developing that. If you can't pick out two or three people that you can lean on, turn to, seek help during hard times, start grooming and developing those relationships so that you do have them when you go through your Gethsemane. And you will. Here's another thing that Jesus did. He, he looked for solitude in his Gethsemane. Now, that doesn't contradict what uh, I just said, that he looked out for friends to go with him. It it rather complements it. There's a time for friends to be our support. And then there's a time when we grieve and have difficulty that we need to just be alone. We need to just think. We need to just pray. We, We need to process things and not be busy with entertaining others and listening to others. Sometimes we need to be still and know that God is. And Jesus had that moment when he, okay, I I need you. Here we are. Now, I'm going to go off by myself for a little bit, and I'm going to pray. Just myself. A number of years ago, there was a lady who, uh, she lost her husband. And she said, one of the most difficult things in that whole ordeal, I had so much support from church People were too kind to me. But she said, one of the things that was the most difficult thing during that whole grieving process of the loss of my husband was one lady who attached onto me and would not let me have a moment to myself. She said, I needed just to be alone. I needed to be able to cry alone. I needed to just have some quiet time alone. And I couldn't because in her well-meaning, her good intentions, she thought she was helping. She wasn't. There's a time for friends, but there's also a time for solitude. Jesus teaches us that. That's what he did. And we need to do the, the same and learn from that. Sometimes we just need to be still. And know that God is in control. When hardship comes and when you see some of the things that you have to endure, and it it helps me. I I sometimes think of Revelation chapter 6. We talked about this this morning in Bible class. But in Revelation 6, John has this vision. And he sees the souls of those who have been slain with the sword. And, And they're under the altar of God, and they're crying out, How long, O Lord, how long until you avenge us? We've been murdered. We've been put to death because of our testimony of Jesus Christ. How long until you make this wrong right? It's not fair. And from all earthly perspective, it looks like Rome is just whipping Christians. That Christianity doesn't have a chance in the face of the Roman opposition that it is facing. It looks defeated, helpless. But then you come to Revelation chapter 20, and you once again have a picture of those who have been beheaded for their testimony in Jesus Christ. And you know what they're doing? They're reigning. They're reigning with Christ. They're not dead. 
They're not defeated. They are reigning. We get a behind-the-scenes picture of what's going on, and what looks like victory on earth is really defeat, and those who have been defeated are actually now reigning with God. I try to keep that in perspective when I'm going through difficulties to know this isn't the end of the story. This, this isn't how the game ends here. I need to stay faithful, and all these hardships will someday be gone, and I will reign with Christ. That helps if I can keep that perspective. And then the last thing that I want to bring up from this uh, account is that Jesus accepted God's will when he was in Gethsemane. When we are called upon to suffer, we have certain answers we want God to give. I want so-and-so to get well. I didn't want him to die. I don't want him to die. I don't want him to leave. I don't want her to leave me. I don't want my children to do this or to do that. We have what we want, and we pray to God about those things, and sometimes we don't get what we've prayed for. Um, I shared a letter with the Bible class in here several months ago of a lady that wrote to me about an article that I'd written, and she was she said, "I don't, I don't believe in God anymore. I, I used to. I was a faithful child of God. My husband and I, we worked." so hard in the church and, and anything that came up. We did mission work. We did everything. But my husband got cancer. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that he would get better and God did not heal him. And I don't know how I could ever serve that God anymore. She said, I'm angry with him. And I don't even know that there is anybody listening anymore. Because if there was a God, why would he let this be the answer to my prayers? Part of getting through your Gethsemane is resigning to God's will. To letting him be God and letting him who knows best to take care of the events of life. Uh, There are things just, you know, everybody in life dies. It's part of the circle. That's part of the way we, that's the way things have worked since Adam. Nobody's going to get out of this world without dying unless the Lord comes first. And so it's an unrealistic expectation to say, God, you can't ever let anybody I love die. That, that's not going to happen. That's praying for something that is not in, a, in accordance with God's will. Can we give God thanks for answers to our prayers that don't go the same way that I that I wanted it to go. We go into the hospital. I'm having some problems. I'm not feeling well. I'm going into the hospital, and I'm praying that uh, everything's okay and it's nothing serious, and I I come back, and that's what the whole church is praying for, that it's not serious, and I I learn that it's serious. How can God... Can you accept that? Can you trust that God can use you and, and maybe use you even more effectively in reaching out to people through illness rather than through good health? Can you accept the fact that maybe, even though you would prefer good health, that maybe what is good for you is the struggle of illness? It might cause you to readjust your focus and what you're really living for. 
God sees things from an eternal perspective. And when I pray, I don't always get the answer I want. Can I be okay with that? Or do I have to question God? Jesus said, I don't want to go to the cross. Let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We need to have that same resignation to the will of God in all things. God, I'm broken. Here's what I really want. But if that's not what I get, I can deal with it. I can still use whatever situation I am in and use it to your glory. That's what Jesus did, and that's what I'm suggesting we should do. So in this story of Jesus in Gethsemane, we often just look to it as a prelude to the crucifixion. But I think there are some really valuable life lessons here for us, teaching us how to live life um, in a meaningful way, how to manage difficulty when it comes across our life. And, and if you've been fortunate enough to have escaped those Gethsemane moments, then thank God. But hold on, because they'll probably come before you escape this world. And when they do come, I hope that we'll look to Jesus and learn from his way of dealing with hardship and respond in a similar fashion. After all, we want to be disciples of his. We want to be learners, apprentices. And I want to look at him, and I want to see what he does, and I want to try to imitate it. And so as you're called to suffer, um, whatever your Gethsemane may be, look to Jesus. He won't steer you wrong. In fact, he'll give you great advice and help in dealing with what seems maybe otherwise to be insurmountable. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, I want to encourage you to obey the gospel. Maybe you've been putting it off. Listen, we're, we're talking about Jesus right now in Sundays for the next few weeks and about he's the king of kings. He, he is king over a kingdom that has no rival. He is perfect in all of his ways. His, his reign over our life, he would never ask anything of us that is not absolutely best for us. Do you not want to be a part of a kingdom run and reigned over by a perfect king? I do. And if you do, submit yourself to his will. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ, why don't you do that tonight? If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you just need to come back. Maybe the burdens of this life have been hard, and maybe what you need to do tonight is what Jesus did in the garden. He prayed. He reached out to friends and said, I, I need you. If that's where you are in life, if you need the brethren here to pray with you, to hold you up, to lift you up, to give you strength, to pray with you to God on your behalf, won't you come as we stand together and sing?